If you're just coming in and you're joining us, hello, my name is Jake. Um, I'm one of the pastors on the team. Uh, and we're actually starting a new series today uh, entitled Miracles, simply entitled Miracles. Um, and truthfully, uh, I, I personally believe that miracles still happen today. That's a, some, for some people, that's in question, but I, I believe that miracles still happen in this world and still happen um, through faith in Jesus. And so um, we're going to spend some time in the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about that, talking not just about the man behind the miracles, but we're even going to spend some time talking on the mystery behind the miracles. And I'll, I'll shoot straight with you right from the very beginning. The very nature of a miracle is a mystery, so we're not going to solve the mystery of all miracles, uh, but we are going to ask some of the bigger questions, some of the theological questions questions, and we're going to do a lot of that next week, starting next week. Um, this is interesting. So if, uh, if you're just coming and you haven't, uh, we, we're going to tackle these big topics. I've invited a friend of mine, a professor, a former professor named Wally Kowalski. Um, he was a professor of theology for 30 years at Northwest University. Uh, we developed a friendship. So right when I left college, um, we started to go out to coffees together, and I would just sit down and ask him all my theological questions. And so what we thought would be fun was just to actually have him come here. He'll sit in a chair, I'll sit in a chair, and I'll get to ask him some of our theological questions when it comes to miracles. Truly, I'm telling you this, this dude is the smartest man that I have ever met in my lifetime. Um, and so we're going to ask him difficult questions, like uh, questions like, how come some people who pray for miracles receive um, an answer to that, and then some who do not? Do miracles happen, you know, here and today? Do they still exist? Why do they happen more in foreign countries than they do in the United States? Just those type of questions from a theological standpoint. Uh, and so it'll be great to come next week, and we're going to tackle that. He's going to be here. And if you have any questions or any thoughts on miracles that you wanted to ask um, go ahead and just email us at info at arborchurch.com, or you could simply write it on your connection card and then drop it in the box, and then we will, um, we will throw those and add those to the list. But again, that's happening next week. Um, right now, what I'd like to do is um, we're going to teach from a passage. Uh, this is fun for me because this is one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. It is definitely my favorite um, miracle in all of the Bible, and it's not very well known. It's a, it's a miracle um, of a guy, a blind man, um, from a town called Bethsaida. And so it's a historical account. Here's what's cool. We don't know the guy's name. We just know he's blind. The Bible doesn't actually give his name. We know that he was living in darkness, and he decided to give Jesus a shot. Um, and of all things, uh, again, he'll give us a play-by-play, -play, kind of a how um, he walked through or how he experienced this miracle with Jesus, how he found hope, how he found healing, and how he found a way out. And so what I'd like to do, I was going to have you stand and read, but I will just read this. I'm going to walk through Mark chapter 8, verses 20 through to 25. We'll read the whole account, and then we'll go back through and break it down. So let's read that now. Mark 8, chap um, chapter 8, verse 22. Here's what it says. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. So once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes, and his eyes were opened. His eyes were restored, and he saw everything clearly. Lord, we want to take a second and we just want to invite you here 
and I'd ask that you would open our ears. Um, you would allow me to say the words you want me to say, and we would get the message that you want us to know um, from your word. And so thank you for this account. Thank you for healing this man. And we pray that we can learn from that today. We love you, Lord. In your name, amen. All right, so let's walk through this. Let's break it down verse by verse, line by line. Let's start in uh, verse 22. Starts off with the word they, and they refer to Jesus and the disciples. So they came to Bethsaida. A little bit about Bethsaida, a little historical background. It is a village, and it is a village in northern Israel, and the name literally means house of fishermen, which is very interesting because three out of the 12 disciples actually come from Bethsaida. There's Andrew, there's Philip, and the big man himself, Peter, all grew up in Bethsaida. Jesus himself would have been very familiar with this town because he grew up in Nazareth, which was just a few miles west of Bethsaida. So who knows? Maybe little Jesus played with little Peter and little Philip, and I don't know. We don't know if that's not, but it's fun to think about that. Um, but what we do know is that Jesus did some pretty hefty miracles in Bethsaida. So the feeding of the 5,000 happened there. There was also, this is a location where Jesus walked on water. And what's interesting is from Matthew 11, we know that Jesus would later condemn Bethsaida, the city, the town, for not having enough faith. He said, you've done so many miracles there. I've done so many miracles there, and yet few believe. And so he says, woe to you who are slow to repent. And so that's crazy. And so that's the town we're talking about. And so back to verse 22, it says, they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. The two words that pop out of the verse from there for me are the words, some people. Some people brought the blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. The blind man was blessed in a way. He was blessed. Yes, he was blind, but he was blessed to have friends, to not have to walk through life alone, that there were actually people who on his, their, his behalf took him before Jesus and begged Jesus to heal him. My hope, my prayer is that we would all have that. We all need that. No one should be walking this life alone. If you're walking this life alone, welcome to the family. Come and stay here. Our motto, our mission is making disciples, and our tagline is together. We want to do it as a family. And I think it's super important. It's super great that, um, you know, when you have struggles— that maybe I can bring in prayer you before Jesus. And when I have struggles, you can bring me before in prayer and beg on my behalf for or to Jesus. And that's what this guy had. This guy had friends. He was a blessed man. Some people brought a blind man to Jesus and begged Jesus to touch him. And then here it is. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. First thing to notice there, super important. The first step, the first thing that this guy did, the first decision that he makes is to follow Jesus. It's, I mean, it's, it's right there, the very basic thing. Jesus, his pals plop this guy right in front of Jesus. He's blind, he can't see anything. Um, he's in front of the miracle man himself. And the first thing Jesus does is he grabs him by the hand and then he takes him on a little walk, a little stroll right outside of Bethsaida. And so the first thing this guy does is he actually follows him. 
This actually happened something like this, not the miracle portion, but the following portion happened to me the first time I went to Kenya. About 10 years ago, I went to Katali, Kenya to meet with some pastors. And as the U.S. representative pastor that came with, I came and I met with the pastor. And the first thing, catch it, translator just introduced us. Very first moment, I've never done anything like this before where I went and met with pastors. I was really nervous. Um, And the first thing this Kenyan pastor did is he said, hello, and then he reached down and he grabbed my hand and then he took me on a walk. We went walked in his little courtyard in his little garden and we did circles. And I'm, I mean, it would have been fine like for like two seconds if he would have just taken my hand, but it was 25 minutes, okay? <laughs> 25 minutes. I could have handled it if it was even cup style, if we were holding like this, but the guy went full-fledged spaghetti fingers on me. And, uh, and we were walking and uh, we were uh, sweating um, and sweating. And did I mention we were sweating? And, uh, and we did that. And I was uncomfortable, but following is uncomfortable, is it not? I mean, when I'm in a car, I want to drive. I don't want to sit. I want to drive. I, mean, I like control. And most people like to be in control of things. And when you follow, you let somebody else lead in, in that sense. And so following can be uncomfortable. Jesus even talks about this. Matthew 16, he says, If any of you want to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and there it is, and follow me. These days, in the church, in our culture, there is a lot that is made about leadership, right? You can go to seminars, conferences, you can read books about how to become a better leader. But when I pick up this book, and I read the Gospels in particular, I realize that being a leader is a good thing, but Jesus had a thing for followers, He wanted followers. He didn't say, come and lead me. He didn't even say, come and lead lots of people. He said simply, come and what? Follow me. And so Jesus is our fearless leader, and he is calling us to be fearless followers. And this blind man, he kind of got this. He kind of understood this. He did not hesitate. Jesus reaches, grabs his hand, and then he uh, follows Jesus outside of the city. And that's where we pick up verse 23. It says, He, being Jesus, took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. And then here's where it gets interesting. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? And we are going to stop right there because this is so rich. And I love the detail of the Bible. Did you hear what I said? Did you hear what I read? When Jesus had spit on the man's eyes, right? If you've been in church a long time, you're like, oh yeah, we know this story. No, actually, think about this. There is a story in the Bible where Jesus spits on the ground, right? And he makes mud pies. And he takes those mud pies and he puts them on a blind man's eyes. And he says to the blind man, go and wash. And then he goes down into a pool and he washes them off. And when he was able to do that, he was able to see. This is not that story, okay? This is a completely different story where Jesus, uh, who apparently has a big thing for spitting, um, (laughs) spits directly on the guy's face. Think about that. 
Isn't that crazy? He spits on the guy's face. That's the famous story. I, I can imagine this poor guy truly just sitting there. He's like, he can't see, so he's in the dark, and he comes expecting, hearing that Jesus has saved and done all these miracles and done these great things, and he's there in his, in his darkness, and he's thinking, oh my gosh, how is Jesus going to heal me? Is he going to do a rousing, like, poetic prayer? Is he going to do a parable? Is he going to, you know, maybe he's going to call down fire from heaven or he'll anoint me with oil? And in that moment, in his darkness, when he's thinking about this, he hears this sort of... <laughs> and, then, and then he's thinking, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Even Jesus is getting choked up. This is so great. And then Jesus, okay, the King of Kings the Lord of Lords, the bright and morning star, right? The Alpha, the Omega, the Lion of the tribe of Judah lands a loogie right on this guy's eyes. And I have to imagine, again, that this is where the phrase, oh, Jesus, came from. Because... <laughs> Peter is probably standing there and he's watching this whole thing go down and there's a huge crowd and he's like, oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, really? So here's my point, all right? What's my point? My point is this, and it's huge. This man, this blind man, was vulnerable with Jesus. He was vulnerable with Jesus. He, he allowed, he probably didn't know Jesus was going to spit on his face, and he could have walked away right after that, but he didn't. He stayed, and he was vulnerable with Jesus. And Jesus asks us to be vulnerable with him. This right here, to me, is the symbol of vulnerability. If you don't know what this is, this is a hospital gown, and it is a standard issue if you were ever to enter into a hospital and go through a procedure. They make you put one of these things on. Now, you can put them on in a variety of ways. You can put it on like this, which is the proper way, correct? And then you have all your vulnerability hanging out right there in the back. Apparently, when Garrett did his little, um, you know, stone thing, um, he put it on the wrong way, and, uh, and the doctors told him you need to change it around. I figured by this point, he would have known how you put on a hospital gown. He offered to show a picture, but I, for your benefit and mine, declined that picture. So, but the deal is, this is the symbol of vulnerability. If you want help from the doctors, right, if you want their assistance, if you want them to put the, his hands on you and to do surgery, you have to put this on. It is a non-negotiable. You cannot wear your clothes when you enter into an operating table, right? They want you to have this on and only this. They want you to be vulnerable with the doctors so they can do what they need to do. It is the same thing with Jesus. He wants you to enter into a relationship with him in vulnerability. He wants you to be vulnerable with him, to lay it all out there, to let it hang all the way out there. And that's exactly what this guy does. It is a requirement, if you're going to go in a hospital, it is a requirement to be with Jesus in that sense, is to be vulnerable with him if you want an authentic, genuine relationship with him. You can fake it, okay? And everybody else will know, but Jesus requires authenticity with him. Here's a great definition of authenticity. It is allowing someone to know your weaknesses and trusting that they will not use them against you. You may have heard that before. And if you're married, you may have experienced that before, where your spouse will know the good, the bad, and the ugly about you. 
And if they truly love you and you're truly vulnerable with them, they will not use that against you. They will not hold your faults, your, your failures and your hangups and your hurts and all those things. They're not gonna hang them over your head. They're gonna allow you to be vulnerable with them and then they're not gonna hold that against you. Here's a very interesting piece when it comes to vulnerability. We desire intimacy inside of our relationships, in our, inside of our marriages, inside of, you know, to when we truly love someone. But intimacy is impossible without vulnerability. Have you ever thought about that? Intimacy is impossible without vulnerability because you have to lay yourself out there. You have to come in and just leave it all bare. It's the same thing with Jesus. He wants us to enter in and vulnerability, to be completely transparent, to just like lay yourself before him and say, here I am, to allow him to do whatever he wants. And if that's spit on your face, then so be it. If that's what it takes to come to healing or into right relationship with him. What's interesting and I think what's super cool about Jesus is he didn't just command this. He doesn't just desire this. What he does is he models it as well. So he left a place in heaven of complete comfortability and became vulnerable to come down here. What he did is he literally set his power aside. He had the full power. He was fully God and fully man, but he could have called on the angels and the legions of angels to come down and stop him from stepping onto the cross. But he set all that aside and was vulnerable with mankind so that he could save mankind. And so Jesus doesn't just desire vulnerability. He has been vulnerable with us. And that's pretty crazy. He knew our shortcomings, and yet he still found his way to the cross. The blind man, he found his way out of the darkness, partially because he followed Jesus. Secondly, he was vulnerable with Jesus. And thirdly, he was honest with Jesus. And we'll talk about that. Verse 23. It says, When he, he being Jesus, had spit on the man's eyes, and uh, spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. So once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes and his eyes were opened. His eyes restored and he saw everything clearly. Two things to note here, very important. Number one, walking trees. Jesus was obviously a fan of Lord of the Rings because he put ants inside of the Bible. Tree beard is inside of the Bible. He makes a, a surprise guest appearance. But the second thing is that he was honest with Jesus. Jesus asked, do you see anything? Now catch this. This is the only time in all of scripture, in all the gospels, where Jesus asks the status of his healing, right? He's never asked anybody else, how'd it go? And this man responds in honesty. He gives an authentic answer, but yet he didn't have to. In fact, there were even incentives, reasons why he could withhold the truth. Think about it. He's in a crowd of people. He doesn't want to look weird, and yet he sees walking trees. So Jesus says to him, what do you see? He's honest. He says, I see trees. That's weird. That's a little like, like, a, like you're living in a sci-fi movie kind of a thing. And he's telling that to everyone. He doesn't want to look weird in everybody. In fact, seeing trees, I don't know if you thought about this, is an improvement to blindness. So he could have settled for a halfway healing at that point in time. He could have just walked away and it would have been better for him, but yet he chose to be honest. The other incentive, the other reason why he may not have wanted to tell the truth is 
to tell Jesus, Jehovah Jireh, which means healer, um, that he failed in his healing is kind of an uncomfortable situation, right? You tell Jesus, oh yeah, how, how are you doing? How, can we know, are you, how do you feel? And he's like, well, I see people, they look like trees. You know, he may not have wanted to offend Jesus, so he could have withheld the truth, but he chose not to do that. He risked all that, and he shared the truth. He shared the truth. When my, uh, when my daughters were young, uh, we, my wife and I, we were walking through the front room and we realized that there was a pen marker written all over the wall. All of a sudden we go there and there was only three people in the house besides me. There was my wife, who I'm pretty sure didn't do it. Um, and then I went up and we found the two girls inside of the room. And immediately when I walked in, I knew exactly who did it. And I asked Paisley if it was her and she said no, but Maggie had a pen right? And she had a pin in her hand and in her mouth. And I asked Paisley, did you do it? And she's like, no, I didn't. And I asked Maggie, did you do it? And Maggie's like, no, daddy. And then I asked her again, are you sure? And with the pin in her mouth, she said, no, she didn't do it. She never confessed, right? She was never honest with us in that moment, but I knew who did it, right? My wife knew who did it. Evidence laid there that we know, knew the truth, but yet she didn't share the truth with us. Jesus, God, our heavenly father, knows everything about us. He knows the truth. So why do we not be completely honest with him at times? He knows what we're thinking. He knows what we're going to think. And yet at times we try to play games with him and we're not honest with him. When the truth is he wants us to be honest. Jesus wants us to be transparent. He wants us to come to him with everything hanging out there. And like I said, this guy... If he would have not been honest, he would have not been touched by Jesus a second time. And the healing would have only gone halfway. And I actually think that's a little similar to us. I think at times that we can actually stop the healing process that Jesus has in us if we're not being honest with Jesus. That we're in this process of healing and all of a sudden we can put a hold on that thing simply because we're not being honest with him. The blind man, he found his way out of the darkness. One, because he followed Jesus. Two, he was vulnerable. But thirdly, because he was honest with Jesus. And so here's, here's this. This is really important. I am not saying that if you follow these three steps, the three same steps that this guy followed, that you are going to receive a miracle inside of your life. That miracle that you want, that miracle that you desire, that, that's going to come to you. I'm not saying that at all. Miracles, by their very nature, are mysterious. But there is one thing I know about miracles, and that is this, is that faith always precedes the miracle. If you look in the Bible, if you look specifically in the Gospels, there's only one account that I can see where a miracle happened and Jesus, there was no faith prior to that. And that was when Jesus cursed the fig tree. Other than that... I, the, every miracle that you see in the Bible, faith preceded the miracle. And if we want a miracle in our lives, and if you need a miracle in your life, if I need a miracle in my life, faith has to come first. When it came to this guy, the faith that he had is he, was, he followed Jesus, he was vulnerable, and he was honest with him. But he had faith, and that's why the miracle came, Right? That and because Jesus chose to. And so if you need a miracle in your world, if you're struggling, it's just, it's, he, you, supernaturally, God's got to get involved or it's not going to get better. Faith has to come first. Faith has to come first. Now, before we step away from this passage, 
um, and from this story, there are two questions that plague me when it comes to this story. Two very interesting questions as you study it, as you look into it. The first one is obvious. I want to answer them. Number one, why wasn't this guy healed the first time? Right? Why did it take steps? Because this is the only time in all of Scripture where Jesus laid his hands on someone and they weren't instantaneously healed. This is it. It's the only time that Jesus apparently heals in stages. And there's lots of theories on this, um, opinions, biblical arguments. One would say that the man did not have enough faith, that it was a lack of faith. And, and I, <laughs> I'm just going to shoot out straight here. I think that's poor theology, really bad theology. That the man didn't have enough faith, so he only had half the faith, so he was only healed halfway. We will talk about that definitely next week when we have a conversation with Wally up here. Uh, the other people say that it was, uh, um, he was from the town Bethsaida. And as you know, Jesus cursed that, set, that city, that village afterwards. So maybe that's why he wasn't fully healed. Other people would say because uh, he had saliva in his eyes. So that's why he couldn't see clearly. Um, the truth is we don't know, right? We don't know, but maybe, hear me on this, just maybe in a roundabout way, Jesus is showing us that healing can be a process. Yeah? That healing could be a process. That sometimes, and I would say most often, healing takes time. I've said this before. You've heard the quote that time heals all wounds. I only think that statement is true if you take heaven into account. And if you do that, then yes, for those who know Jesus, then yeah, time does heal all wounds. And we all know somebody, right, who was praying for a miracle, praying that God would supernaturally come through, that they were sick, that they were hurting, that they were dying. And they didn't get the miracle in this lifetime, but when they stepped into heaven, if they passed away, then that miracle came, right? And then they were fully healed, that it was a process. God started it on this planet and it found its way in through heaven. The apostle Paul talks about this. This is his promise. He says, he who began a good work in you, so they're talking about Jesus, he who began this great work in you will carry it out to completion. So that's full healing until the day of Christ Jesus. When is that day? That is the day that he comes back in glory and we enter into heaven and then all things will be not just new, but renewed and we will be completely healed. This was a very hard lesson for me to learn. A very hard lesson, but here's what I have learned in that process is that this is the truth, that God's timing, although it's often not our timing, is the best timing when it comes to healing. That our timing is often not the best, but it is always, or it's not always our timing, but it is the best timing. And we got to trust him in that, that healing can be a process. Second question. And this one, if I'm honest with you, it didn't stand out right in the very beginning. Uh, but then all of a sudden, after I read and studied the passage a little bit, it just all of a sudden hit me, and I just, I couldn't get it out of my mind. And that was this, how in the world did a blind man know what trees look like? <laughs> did you ever think about that? 
How did a blind man know to describe people walking around and they look like trees? And so um, I, I wrestled with, he says, I see people, they look like trees walking around. And I wrestled and I wrestled and I got super frustrated, kind of like how in the world would he know that? And then all of a sudden, like, you know, when somebody gives you a riddle and it's really difficult and then you realize the answer was always there right in front of you, like they had never left the room. They were always in the room the whole time. You're like, ah, oh, this finally came obvious to me. And it's simply this. How did you know what trees look like? He wasn't always blind. He wasn't always blind. Something happened in this guy's life. Something robbed him of his sight. At one point in time, he could see, and then his vision was taken from him. And maybe you're here, and something has happened to you. Maybe you could see earlier, and you can't see. Something has robbed you of your vision, and you are hurting, and you are in need of a miracle, right? You need something to be restored in you. May I offer this, is that Jesus, yes, Jesus, he was the great healer in the gospels, but I still believe he is the great healer here and now. He is still the great healer and he is still in the business of restoring. And so maybe that's, you know, you lost something. Maybe you lost your marriage and you think there's no way it's going, it's gone off the rails. I believe our miracle worker can restore a marriage. I've seen it happen. Maybe it's a relationship with your kids or something like that. And that relationship has gone off and you, and you think it's never going to be right. It's never going to work. God works miracles and he can restore that relationship. Maybe you're sick or someone you love dearly is very sick. God can restore. He can restore health back into play. He is the great healer. And the blind man, he figured this out. He had faith. He followed Jesus. He was vulnerable with Jesus. He was honest with Jesus. And again, faith always precedes the miracle. And so if you're sitting here and you're, you're here today and you are in need of a miracle, and part of the reason that we decided to do this series is because I've had lots of conversations with a handful of you where you're saying, man, I need God to intervene in this moment. I need him to come through in a miraculous way. Faith always precedes the miracle. We need to start there and then leave it in God's hands to see if he wants to do something with that, right? And then yet still believe him, believe in him, even if that miracle doesn't come. That's true faith. So here's what we're gonna do with this series as we move forward from here. Next week, we're gonna tackle some of the very difficult questions with a very dear friend of mine. And he is, again, probably the smartest man that I have ever met. And we're going to sit down and we're going to have a conversation, theological conversation about miracles and the theology behind that. And why do some people get healed? Why do others not get healed? What does faith have to do with it? You know, why are there more miracles in foreign countries than there are in the United States? You know, it just those type of questions. But after that, the following weeks, we're going to do something else as well. We're going to, as a church, pray for miracles. If we really believe that miracles happen, then we better put the money, our money where their mouth is and we are going to pray for the miraculous to happen right here. Truly. And we're, so we're gonna be putting ourselves out there and we're gonna see if God is gonna come through with that. Right? So if you have sickness that is not going away, we wanna pray for you. Right? If you have a relationship that has been, you know, you haven't seen your dad in decades, we're gonna pray for that. 
We're gonna pray for your kid that seems like they've gone prodigal and it's gonna take a miracle to bring them back. We're gonna pray for that. And we're gonna tackle those things straight forward coming up in the next few weeks. We believe miracles can really happen and we believe Jesus is the man who makes miracles happen. And so we're gonna lean into that. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, let's pray.